Hello and welcome to the Friday Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Camuso-Miller. I'm a public affairs professional in Washington, D.C., and I interview members of the media about their background, about how they got into journalism, and lots of other topics. The Friday Reporter is a PR Daily podcast. Check out PR Daily for ideas, inspiration, and trends on all things public affairs and to find the Friday Reporter podcast. Well, thanks so much for joining me today for another episode of the Friday Reporter podcast. Today, we're lucky enough to have Jackie Combs with us from the LA Times, who has a really terrific background in journalism and also has a brand new book uh, that is uh, really sort of sweeping the sweeping the Washington, D.C. airwaves and is really getting a lot of attention. Jackie Combs, thanks for being with me today. Thank you, Lisa, for having me. So, Jackie, uh, our mutual good friend Susan Davis from NPR recommended that I uh, see about having you on as a future guest. So I'm thrilled because you are a nominee uh, and a nominated guest, but also someone that I have followed uh, for for many many years. You have a tremendous background. Would you mind to spending a minute or two sharing with uh, our audience how it is you got into journalism? Um, well, that's a good question, and I've been at it for so long. I sometimes have to. Uh, think back myself to how that happened. But uh, it was in the um, early to mid 70s that I decided. And so people naturally think that I was inspired by the uh, uh, Bob Woodward, Carl Bernstein um, uh, coverage of the Watergate scandal. But but I really wasn't. And partly it was I just loved to read and I loved history mm-hmm. and writing. And I couldn't figure out a way to make a living at that except through journalism, that I could indulge my love of history and I could read and write and be paid for it. Mm-hmm. And and also other things I wanted to do, like maybe be a lawyer or maybe be a doctor, all required too much education <laughs> that I could not afford. So I figured a four or five year college um, uh, education was about all I could do. And, mm-hmm. and so journalism, it was, and, um, and I, had, I grew up in Ohio mm-hmm. and I finished college at Northwestern and I, my graduate degree at Northwestern in Chicago, Evanston. And I had never been outside of that area of Ohio, between Ohio and Illinois and, and including Michigan. And I, I figured I'd use my job. That's the other thing about journalism is you can, you know, choose to travel um, mm-hmm. a lot and see places you wouldn't see and get paid for it. So I took a job with a small paper in Texas, Abilene, Texas, and um, stayed there oh, oh, just a short time and was promoted for the chain of newspapers that included the Abilene paper to Austin, which is just as anybody who's ever been to Austin would know is a great place to be and live and to be in your 20s in Austin back then was just wonderful. So and I'm covering the Texas legislature and politics. And as people have seen through the recent um, uh, um, controversy in Texas over voting access and mm. the Democrats all escaping here to Washington to um, preclude the Republicans from having a quorum in Texas, I, um, you know, I could see that politics in Texas hasn't changed much. It's always been a lot of fun. And so, uh, but in 84, I came to, it was a short time, five years or so in Texas, and I came to Washington. I've been here ever since. I met Sue Davis um, when we both worked together for the Wall Street Journal Bureau. Mm -hmm. And so in this, ever since 84, I've covered Congress full time, and then I covered three presidents, um, both first for the Wall Street Journal, then for the New York Times. And 
and I've seen the world and um, at somebody else's expense. So it's been great. That's so great. And it's so, um, so lucky for you too, because journalism has changed dramatically. I will tell you that my mother-in-law is from Evanston, Illinois. So I know uh, that little part of the corner of the world a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, the neat thing about, uh, about your background is that you really were in journalism when there really was a tremendous amount of opportunity. Of course, that world has changed because the economy has changed and the way people consume information has changed. But to be able to do that at a time where you could travel and you could see some wonderful places, that gives you really sort of that good perspective, especially when you come to D.C. having covered the State House. Um, and D.C. Yeah. is such a it's such a vacuum. I, I also share a similar story in that I came to Washington with a plan to be here for two years. I've been here for 20 and I don't see, <laughs> and I don't see myself going anywhere anytime soon. So, um, no, but so, well, the good thing about Washington is that people think of it as this company town and it is to some extent, the company being the federal government, but, but Washington is also, and I'm, I live in the city. My, um, my neighborhood could be, anywhere mm-hmm. and um you know had a good public school and so i love my neighborhood and i feel like it's a you know i'm not always an inside the beltway person as we say and mm-hmm. and yet and washington is near near so much and um not only what's in with within washington but then you have you know the mountains to the west and the the bay and the ocean to the east and it's just a great place to be mm-hmm and and travel from here is also relatively simple and easy. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, getting around town is kind of a pain because we certainly do. We sh- we I think we have uh, we hold at least some sort of record for traffic. But well, that the last year has not been as much of an issue because we haven't had to go anywhere. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So, Jackie, talk to me a little bit about, so you've been a journalist now, so you're at the LA Times and you're covering the White House for them. Um, You are also, though, making a switch in your career to be more, tell me a little bit about that. I I don't need to describe it. You tell me. Well, um, when I left the New York Times uh, a bit over four years ago, um, where I had been in the Washington Bureau and covering uh, all eight years of the Obama administration, and um. I thought I was done with daily journalism, in part because of what you allude to in the changes in journalism and, um, you know, the 24-7 nature of it. After after four decades of it, I was I was a bit tired of the dailiness and the mm-hmm. deadlines, and I thought I was going to try to do journalism of a longer form that would, so that I could think more and wouldn't have daily deadlines as much. And part of that involved trying uh, thinking about writing a book. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't off, I wasn't away from the New York Times very long before the um, bureau chief for the Los Angeles Times Washington Bureau approached me about editing the White House uh, and political reporters in his bureau. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that and it was, you know, a management related job, something I hadn't done. So, and I was at a stage of life where I thought, I could be a mentor to people. Mm-hmm. And so I took the job and I've done that for the last four years, during which time I also got a book contract that we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. And I um, I took a little bit of time off to write the book. And now, um, just recently, um, I was asked to become a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, writing about national issues from Washington. 
and so that's a whole new challenge, and I'm really looking forward to it because I, I sort of feel like after 40 some years of trying uh, and feeling like I was even-handed in covering what, um, trying to convey and define politics for um, a readership, I feel like I've earned the right to express a few opinions yeah, <laughs> about well, things. Well, I mean, and, and, and those opinions would be super valuable to people who are trying to dissect this new world that we're kind of living in because yeah. things have changed so much. Oh, uh, it is a new times. world, and, yeah. it's, and, it's, and it's not not all that good when it comes to our politics at all. I mean, it's actually bad. <laughs> it's, um, and it's a lot, a lot of what you reflect on in dissent, which is the book that you are um, spending a lot of time talking about here inside the beltway and to a variety mm-hmm. of audiences. Talk to me a little bit about um, how it is your thoughts came together to write the book. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that process and sort of how it yeah. is you arrived at that as, as the subject for, for what you wrote the book about. Um, well, that's a good question. And it, it came about because uh, the one thing I had decided at the time before, before I had left the New York times, I was talking to a book agent mm-hmm. and to an editor and the two of them had worked together in the past and it had become clear to me for some time, and with the rise of Trump, it was only confirmed um, that the biggest single story of my entire 40-plus years career was the um, the change in the Republican Party. And, and I, for a long time, described it as a transformation in the party from what it had been when I first started covering politics in Texas in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. But it was, um, by the time I we decided on a book it it, transformation sounded way too just neutral and it's and so we opted to call it the radicalization Mm. of the republican party and at first i thought that was a little edgy but by the time the book was finished and coming out it seemed like you know anything but that would be um too mild be pulling punches and just not Mm -hmm. not reflecting reality um and so i so we talked about that how could i make a book out of telling um, the story of the past 40 years, the dawn, just, you know, starting off just before Ronald Reagan gets elected in 1980. And mm-hmm. I went to Texas in 1978. And so taking off from sort of that was a midterm election year in which conservatives and Republicans won quite a few races in the midterms for Congress and other races. And and it was sort of like a precursor of the Reagan wave that was coming. Mm-hmm. Um and so we uh, we were trying to we were still trying to figure out how do you storify how do you bookify this story of what's been happening how to explain to people what's happened in the Republican Party mm-hmm. and I knew people wanted to know because in my travels for the Wall Street Journal and then for the New York Times the people I interviewed way outside the Beltway all around the country would ask me what's happened to the Republican Party mm-hmm. and this question came not just from Democrats or independents, but from mostly from Republican voters who weren't recognizing the party. And as Joe Biden likes to say, you know, this ain't your father's Republican party. Um, And so, but we were still procrastinating. And finally in October, September, October of 2018, we had the drama of the Senate confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh Mm -hmm. and my agent and, um, 
editor out of the blue came to me and they wanted a book on Brett Kavanaugh and the confirmation. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't particularly keen on that. And I knew there would be other books. And, and so we talked for a while and we decided that when you look at Brett Kavanaugh's background, he's sort of like what some people call him like the Petri dish Republican man or the, um, the metaphor for the Republican party. If you look at his background. And so, so we decided to make it a story about Brett Kavanaugh and his rise all the way up to the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. And that was happening in the same 40 years I wanted to write about the Republican Party. And the Republican Party was changing in those years at the same time, starting early in the Reagan administration, where the conservatives had started this long game, this institutionalizing a system for identifying and recognizing um, proven conservative lawyers who could, or lawyers who were proven conservatives, who could be um, uh, promoted up the judiciary ladder mm-hmm. to put conservatives on the court. So there were, it's really three books in one. It's about Brett Kavanaugh's rise, mm-hmm. about this long game to take uh, put conservatives on the federal court system, and what's happening more broadly in the Republican Party. So that's sort of how it came about. And I will say, just to say why Brett Kavanaugh was sort of the perfect specimen for telling the story was mm-hmm. that this is a man who grew up inside the Washington Beltway, a yeah. son of a Republican father and who was a lobbyist. And he, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, um, went to Yale, which is a school along with Harvard that produces most of our Supreme Court justices. Mm-hmm. He right away joined the Federalist Society, which is this organization, as you know, that is has become successful beyond its founder's wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. And it's now got about 80,000 members all across the country. And from that 80,000, they can recognize conservative lawyers and and sort of encourage um, the best of them uh, or the most conservative of them to 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 be nominated for um, judicial posts when there's a Republican president. And and, and so he he joined this Federalist Society right away at Yale it was an infant organization then, so he was there right at the start. Mm. He went on to clerk for three of the best-known conservative um, judges, and, and then uh, a um, uh, justice, Anthony Kennedy, who was also uh, had a record of promoting his clerk, law clerks for for judicial appointments. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Brett Kavanaugh never really went into private practice for any amount of time. He then worked for four years for Ken Starr on the investigation of, um, of Bill Clinton, which, of course, was the big story of the 90s in terms of politics and the the polarization that was increasing. And then he 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 was the lawyer for some some what we call culture war issues like school choice and mm-hmm. um and uh, he was in the Elian Gonzalez, which would probably many of your listeners may not even remember, but it was a huge story in um, 2000. And it was the denouement of that in Florida, this little boy who was um, who lost his mother trying to escape from Cuba and was, you know, became a political pawn between mm-hmm. the parties. And so he represented the um, those anti-Castro Cubans who wanted to keep Elian in this country rather than give him back to his father in Cuba. Anyway, this then led to Bush v. He was in Bush v. Gore, the Supreme that went to the Supreme Court and helped mm-hmm. make Bush 
the president in 2000. And from there, he worked in the Bush White House, where he became like a son to George W. Bush and was a legal counselor in some of the biggest controversies of the Bush administration, like warrantless surveillance, the detention and um, treatment, torture of of terrorist suspects, and um, some of the most controversial judicial nominations um, of the time. And all of that sort of lent itself that I could weave Brett Kavanaugh's story in and out of this broader story I was telling about what was going on in the Republican Party. Wow. So that's sort of a verbose description, but oh, uh, helpful. I can't wait to read it. It's really, yeah. I mean, super timely. And I get it. Like Kavanaugh is a bit of a symbol of a broader, yeah. uh, of a broader change and um, really sort of um, just sort of the whole construct of what the party has, uh, has evolved and changed and, and radical is probably a word that I would endorse. Right. Um, it's changed. Right. It's different. And, and it's one that I think that a lot of people are going to find very interesting. There are a lot of books that are coming out and there are a lot of books that are going to talk about a variety of different things, but this is one that I'm really looking forward to reading. Cause I think well, it's one you. that's going to answer a lot of questions for folks like myself who, who maybe are, um, seeing a different party than the party yeah. that we sort of grew up knowing. But, right. Yeah, because because you're one of those people who wondered what happened to your party or your family's party, aren't you? No kidding. Oh yeah, no doubt about it. not my not uh-huh. my family. I I'm sort of a I'm a unicorn, but uh, <laughs> it, I'm a Republican from New Jersey, which makes me confounded by a lot of things. But all of that to say, it's a book that, that to me is really appealing and something that I'm really looking forward to. How has um how has that worked for you? So the book itself is is out, and mm-hmm. uh, and you're you know sharing it with colleagues and allies and friends. Are you traveling some to to get the word out about it? How does that work for for well, you? Well, unfortunately, a unfortunately, in the era of COVID, I was hoping that with a June mid June release that it there would be opportunity to do things in person and have book events, and it looked like that was go- going to happen. But I've done some vir- the bookstore events have been virtual so far, mm-hmm. and now with the um, you know the spread of the Delta variant mm-hmm. and the tightening up again, you know, the return to some COVID precautions, I'm you know I'm discouraged once again from thinking that there's going that I'm going to have many in-person opportunities. But you know z- there are some, mm-hmm. and Zoom is you know people. People have really become accustomed to Zoom events and um, the like, and so, so that helps fill in the gaps. Yeah. And um, so, and it's tough because I never realized when I knew I wanted to write a book how much self promotion or well self promotion, but promotion of the book gets involved. You know, you think you just write a book and you drop it, and then you realize no, that's not. <laughs> Yeah, that's well, there's not so how you ma- sell books, and because there are so many books, I mean, there just really yes. are, and so there, it's just like journalism, just like you know, news in general, and that's sort of right. That's straight up news or quote unquote news. There's so much information right. available out there, and so you have to really do everything in your power to get the word out. So thank you for doing the podcast because we're going to do what well, we can to help promote it too. Because we're looking forward you. to reading it. Thank you. Uh, so, so now you'll go on to offer offering some opinion and some advice and some thoughts and some perspective, which is exciting. And that starts up later this month. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so, early August, I guess. Um, I my first column will be due the week of August sixteenth. I did sort of what I didn't realize at the time was something of an audition 
for this when I wrote a 1,500-word essay for the Los Angeles Times that sort of uh, distilled my book or that portion of my book that was about the radicalization of the Republican Party. Um, and I went back through the four, you know, 40-some years back to my arrival in Abilene, Texas, when Texas was a one-party Democratic state. And they used to like to joke when I got there that Texas was indeed a two-party state. Mm. It was liberal, conser- liberal Democrats and conservative Democrats. <laughs> well, I, by the time I left out, um, Texas in 1984, um, it was becoming a Republican, the Republican state we know today. Mm-hmm. And like, like the entire South was um, switching and conservative Democrats were becoming Republicans. So um, it's, it's uh, it, the, the essay I wrote was so well received and um, that the, uh, what had been just sort of nascent talk of making me a columnist became real. And oh, so, awesome. so it, so it all worked out. That's so awesome. Good. So what are you looking forward to doing in your, so I've always, because the Friday reporter airs on a Friday, I always, always like to know what keeps yeah. people busy on the weekends. Like when you're not reporting or caring about what's happening in the Capitol, what kinds of things are, what kinds of things keep you busy on the weekends? Uh, well, reading and walking and working in my yard and, nice. you know, and getting together with friends, you know, this mm-hmm. one gets back to what I said about Washington is just like for all of its, um, uh, stereotype of it being a different kind of town it's just like anywhere else and I um so yeah I love the weekends and and especially now because for the last few couple of years I've been doing nothing all my weekends have been you know it's the book and I you know I I like to tell people that you've all been quarantined for just over a year with um (laughs) the pandemic but I was quarantined for the year before that as well (laughs) Working on the book. Yeah. Yes. And you're what I think you're the third author that I've had on the podcast that really everybody's process is different. Uh, some people yeah. sort of work nights and weekends, others are working sort of like they'll take like book leave and they'll do something different. So every author yeah. is, is different, but that's such an exciting and probably yeah. I have to believe a very rewarding um, experience. It, it is rewarding. And this, this project, especially because if nothing else, this sort of allowed me to reflect on my own career and what I had seen and, and, you know, bring it all together under a, a general theme. And, and so not only what do I have that for myself, even, even if it doesn't sell much, I have it for my daughters, you know, yeah. so that, that means a lot to me. It's a record of history. And that's, I think, a big piece yes. of your responsibility as a journalist is that you're yeah. writing yeah. about, you're writing about not only day-to-day activities and what's happening in the White yeah. House, but your record, your record of history and your, and the, the way that you report will be reflected on for years to come. Yeah. Well, you know, these books that are out at the same time as mine uh, that are uh, Trump-centric, uh, that are they're all it's what what surprises me is not that they sell well, but that they all sell well. I mean, who are all these people that want to, you know, wallow in more of Donald Trump and his um, antics in the White House? But um, I think and 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 some of those are written by friends and I and I and I am happy for their success. The one thing I like to think that my book does that that their book sells on the on the um, strength of these just outrageous anecdotes that people now are talking about happening in within the White House when Trump was there. I like to try to uh, think that I help people understand how we got to Trump and why mm-hmm. um, 
with with or without Trump in the picture, the Republican Party will continue on this path that it's on, unfortunately, for the foreseeable future, because he, you know, he did not make the party what it is today. He mm-hmm. took what was already in progress in terms of a base that was increasingly uh, nativist and um you know, nationalistic and and in many quarters racist and mm-hmm. anti-government and populist and just uh, harnessed it as his own and gave it a really nasty edge. Uh, you know, far cry from the optimism of Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. And um, so, and I try to help people understand that and under and also understand that it's. Um, there's no there's no solution in sight to, to or if, if if your goal is to see a Republican Party that's more more um, that's more healthy that's that's more willing to try to govern the country and compromise which is essential um, it's you're not going to see it for the for the foreseeable future. Mm. That's so that's so interesting, and it's going to be something that I'm looking forward to to uncovering yeah. as I read the book. So, yeah. Jackie, I know you mentioned before you have been and are con- you continue to be a mentor to a lot of writers and reporters and and folks that are in the communication space. The world really did change when Donald Trump came to the White House. There was a difficulty from the public affairs side. Uh, I would spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to weave my pitch into. Uh, a rubric that included the president, because that was the only way I could get my story past all of the filters that were necessary to tell right. um, to tell that story the way it was. Yeah. Is there any advice you would give to um, to folks who are looking to to connect with the media in terms of like what what's working today? Do you think um, better than maybe uh, things that have worked in the past? Um, well, that's a, that's a really good question. I. Um, I try to respond to everything. If I get emails and some people, prefer, that's, a, that's another problem. Some people prefer emails, some prefer texts. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody really likes to get a cold call no. uh, on the no. phone. Um, and, you know, a direct message on Twitter. Uh, but um, it's, you know, there's, I guess there's no one secret. If, if it's going to, going to be something we're interested in, we're going, I read, I read enough into each um, overture I get to know whether it's something that we're going to be interested in. And, and mm-hmm. I try to respond just so they don't feel they need to follow up and say in a few words, what, why this won't work for us or right. why it will. That's and, so valuable um, too. Even just to get yeah. a minute of, of someone's time to say this doesn't work because X. Um, yeah. Because yeah. there is a lot of and, times that you get, get no response and you wonder what in the world I've, I've clearly right. I've fallen. And then flat. I get things that say this, you know, I'm just, I'm just re-upping this um, pitch or whatever. And I, you know, I've been on the other side, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, as a reporter, that's your job. You're always trying to get people's attention to get them to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And so I know, uh, you know, that you can't take rejection personally. No. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh it's it's hard it's just especially and we're all inundated now with information i you know i wish i had a good answer for you but i just um it's just i think sound, it sounds to me like what you're saying is everybody's approach is different and yeah and not, and maybe just keep at it and don't take it personally <laughs> yeah yeah and you know and of course it sounds 
elementary, but just as to have a, a subject line, you know, something in the subject line, which I often leave empty, but you can't do that if you're, um, you know, if you want somebody to read it, they... No kidding. Well, sometimes that'll land that. it right in the spam filter too. So there's so many, so many hurdles yeah. to get through in this space. Um, but so Jackie, we've, we've come to the end of our conversation and I hoped maybe you would give me the name of a colleague or a friend that you think is someone that would be a, a good future guest for the podcast. Um, well, I'm going to, um, I'm going to recommend, I guess, somebody from my, um, uh, Los Angeles Times family, because mm-hmm. I feel like I should be loyal to them. Um, and uh, perhaps I would suggest uh, a reporter, Noah Bierman. He covered the Trump White House, and mm-hmm. and he's sort of covering the Biden administration now. But because we are the Los Angeles Times, mm-hmm. um, we have created a whole beat about Kamala Harris. Ah. And so... Um, and she's from Los Angeles. You yeah. know, she was statewide. Uh, she's been state attorney general and, and senator before she was vice president. Mm-hmm. So um, Noah has a whole beat. It's sort of odd that you would just cover one person, but he's mm. the Kamala Harris reporter. So That's maybe cool. if you're ever interested in covering Kamala Harris, uh, the question of whether she is indeed the heir apparent to Joe Biden mm-hmm. or or anything else about Kamala Harris, uh, Noah Bierman would be your would be your reporter. That's great. No, I will. I'll reach out to him. I would love to talk a little bit more about that and how that works because so much time is spent reflecting on the White House and reflecting on the president. Then I think that that's a beat that would be really interesting to get um, get perspective from. So I will let Noah yeah. know that you recommended him. <laughs> Jackie Combs, it is a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank I really you, Lisa. loved having you. All right. Thank you a lot for the opportunity. And that's today's Friday Reporter Podcast a podcast in partnership with PR Daily, a tremendous and helpful guide for all things public relations. Find us there on their website and join us again for another episode soon. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.